This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Today, we are going to talk about the benefits of laughter and how we can use laughter to assist with mental health or mental ill health for many of us who have had a chronic disease for a long time and have struggled with the impact that having such a serious compromised state can place on our mental happiness and well-being. So mental ill health is widely regarded as a significant personal, professional, and economic problem in today's society. And today's guest sincerely believes that there needs to be more emphasis placed on psychological self-care and that everyone deserves the right to lead a happy and fulfilled life. There are a wide range of negative life events that we all experience that can eat away at our mental health, especially when these events are out of our control. Today's guest has a very unique perspective on this, and he has a master's degree in suicidology, but he's also an established and very, very funny stand-up comedian who I've known (laughs) For about the last 16 years. He's an MC and keynote speaker. And as I said, a very funny man who's a good, good friend of mine. So I'd really, really uh, like you to uh, enjoy the time with me today with Mr. Mark McConville. Clint, it's so good to see it's so good to see you, mate. Like just when you're reading that, I was I was casting my mind back to when we used to do, you know, all these comedy gigs, you know, tripping around Sydney and, you know, they weren't always the most palatious of establishments that we'd find ourselves performing in. <laughs> That's right, mate. And and what feels funny is uh, is when I'm reading out this sort of like bio that, uh, you know, that you have here that you use to work with uh, organisations and uh, corporations and stuff, um, which is appropriate for our conversation today. But I'm more used to saying stuff like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for your headline act. Please welcome Mark McConville, you know, doing the whole vibe, right? Yeah, so, uh, mate, it's a, it's a different vibe, but we can still have a fun conversation today and we can, uh, you know, bring a, a few laughs to what is otherwise a challenging topic, isn't it? Oh, mate, uh, you know, the whole world's being challenged at the moment. You know, and it's one of those things that now more than ever, we need to really embrace our sense of humour and stay socially connected with everybody. You know, like I've I've got a real ache at the moment with the term social distancing. You know, like what they're asking us to be is physically distanced. We need to be socially connected. You know, now more than ever. So, and, uh, and I think laughter is a great way to do that. Everybody has got people within their, you know, their friends, their family that they know has a similar sense of humour to them. So, you know, trying to find a way to spend as much time with those people as possible, you know, like even, um, even on doing things like this with Zoom, you know, like family get-togethers on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, you get to see them but not smell them. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mate, uh, parties. Yeah, exactly. We should have done this a long time ago. Um, our audience, as I just mentioned to you briefly before we got started here, uh, tend to be going through a lot of tough times. I mean, when you are diagnosed with a chronic disease, you know, you can sometimes go into a, a, a downward spiral because the outlook for something like inflammatory arthritis and autoimmune disease is lifelong disease management with some serious medications that may have side effects for some people. And there's a lot of pain involved. And so with that, you know, mental health becomes a real challenge. And, you know, I've known that you have been an expert in this for many, many years. And, you know, the time is finally upon us. And, uh, you know, it occurred to me, just like one of those uh, subconscious sort of promptings. I was actually at the zoo with my family. And I'm pushing the pram around with Aiden in it. And I thought, I've got to talk to Mark. It just came to my were head. Looking I, at the, were you looking at the monkeys? At the, <laughs> the same time, you know, like, I want, to know, I want to know what animals were in front of you while you were, you know, I'm hoping it wasn't like the elephants or, you know, some super, unattri- you know, like a rhinoceros or something. Right. Um, Big nose, maybe I should give my. I don't, I don't know. I just want to know what you. Were, I'd like to think it was like the cute and cuddly penguins or something like that. That'd... Yeah, we did see the koalas that day, so it might have been you know more of a, a cuddly vibe. You reminded me of a story that is a true story. Very close friend of mine that I used to work with before I got into stand up, and it was back in my uh, technology days. She, her name is Apinya, and uh, she she's from Thailand, like a classic Thai lady. And she married a, as white as white Aussie as you can get. And their first date, she requested that they went to the zoo. And I quote, so that he would find me more attractive because the only things to look at were the animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a hoot. She's a hoot, mate. So, so tell did the it team, work? Yeah, it worked. They're married, man. So uh, it was oh, a good go. strategy. Nice one. That's it. So tell us about your, um, uh, first of all, give us a little background into into getting into stand-up and then we'll talk about how you got into, you know, becoming really a a just a mental health expert and then we'll get into a whole bunch of tips and actionable stuff that we can do because at the end of this half hour or whatever we do together, I want everyone to be able to have some really useful things that they can do so they feel better and feel better more often. That's what we're after. Mm. Well, mate, look, firstly, thanks for the invitation to come and have a chat about this kind of stuff. And and uh, I just want to start by acknowledging exactly what you were talking about is the, you know, when you get a diagnosis like, you know, you've not only got the illness that you've got to deal with and the prognosis of, you know, this is going to be a lifelong thing. You're going to have to manage this over a long period of time. But it it is just so overwhelming, the amount of information that you are given, you know. So not only are you trying to process your own physical, you know, um, ailment that you've got and, and manage that, but you've got you're getting bombarded from left, right and centre and everyone's got an opinion and, you know, you, you've got so many doctors telling you this, that and the next thing and it is so overwhelming, you know. So, and it can, from what I can tell, you know, knowing family members that have gone through full-on diagnosis, 
it's very doom and gloom to start with and trying to educate yourself is the most important thing that you can do is is educate yourself on what and and this is the thing is what's going to work for you might not specifically work for everybody else you know and that's the thing in mental health is there's no one size fits all you know like what works for one person might not work for someone else and the key i i believe to to you know, dealing with a, a prognosis like that is is basically, you know, getting as educated as you can as possible and finding what it is that works for you. But getting back to what you were talking about, about starting stand-up, like I never thought of, I never dreamed of being a comedian. I wanted to be an actor, you know, like I, I was studying at an acting school and and um, did a little 10-minute stand-up comedy spot as part of like a cabaret show and and everyone was going, you never told us you're a comedian. How long you been doing that for? And I went, three days, you know. Like, I, And they said, well, that's your thing. That's what you need to do. So um, so I continued with the acting course and, and then I started doing stand-up. And that's when I'm, you know, early 2000s, me and you coming down to Sydney and doing all of those gigs, tripping around, you know, it was a blast. But it's it's funny how a chance encounter with someone at a show or after a show can change the entire course of your life. So how I ended up getting into the mental health side of things was, you know, back in the day I was doing heaps of gigs on cruise ships, you know, doing 15 cruises a year, tripping all around the place, which is amazing. And then in 2012 I had a, uh, I had a chance encounter with a husband and wife after a show that I did on a, on a cruise ship. So. We did a late night adults only comedy show, one hour show in front of probably about seven or eight hundred people in the audience. Now they're and, a hood, aren't they? Oh, they are. They're such yeah. a blast, you know, like everyone's just there to have a good time. Yeah. And they're such a lovely, it's such a great gig. It really is. And um, and then after the show, I'm just at the bar, you know, having a beer, relaxing and and I noticed this couple walking towards me, husband and wife, pretty fit-looking couple, probably in their mid to late 30s, and the, the lady's crying, like, you know, full on. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And that's when I realised that they were coming up to me. And I tell you, every time I tell this story, it takes me back to that exact night. So... This lady came up to me and she wrapped her arms around me and she said, I don't know how I can possibly thank you because I have not seen my husband laugh out loud for three years. You know, and Mm. comedians get it all the time after shows. You might get someone coming up going, I haven't laughed for days, mate, or weeks or months. I needed that. But three years? Yeah. So... I was like, how on earth can that be possible? So I talked to this couple for hours into the middle of the night and it turned out the guy was an ex-SAS mm. army guy based in mm. Western Australia who three years previously was in Afghanistan and he was mm-hmm. conducting a patrol. He kicked open a door and it was booby-trapped and it blew him up, right? And, you know, 
from memory, he was saying that it killed one of his guys and injured him to the point where he couldn't actively serve anymore. And here's a guy standing in front of me saying, mate, you have done more for me in one night than three years of post-traumatic stress management and counselling and medications and everything because you just made me laugh for an hour. Mm, It's magical. And I I will say I was pretty funny that night. (laughs) I was was pretty funny that night. I know we can't go into specifics, but did you do the whale joke about the, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, the whale gets a run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, people can. People can look on YouTube for your work. Oh, to see yeah. What you're about. yeah. But i got to tell you, it was his wife that really, you know, brought this to my attention because she couldn't understand why it is that the people that were looking after her husband's rehabilitation and his mental health and his recovery at no point in the past previous three years had said, are you still able to laugh? Do you still have your sense of humour? Do you still, you know... He's still able to laugh. And it really hit a, struck a chord with me because it made me think that, you know, maybe there's more to being a comedian than just simply going and doing shows, you know, like this whole laughter is the best medicine, you know, saying's been around since biblical days, you know. So, and this, this encounter happened at the exact same time that I was coming out of a 15-year run of being on and off antidepressants myself, right? So so I was kind of, for the first time in a long time, I was starting to think quite clearly because I, you know, got myself the, you know, the right GP and the right psychologist and the right plan. And, and once you've got all of those things in place, you know, real change can occur. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people go, oh, "I'm sick of medic, I'm sick of antidepressants, or I'm sick of talking to psychologists." You know, and I'm just like, "Well, you haven't. You obviously haven't found the right one yet, because once you once you've got the right combination of, you know, people looking after you, and and you can achieve anything. You know, so so this meeting with this couple happened right at this time. So I got off the ship and I started to look at you know, what laughter does to the body in relation to, you know, physical, the laughter is the best medicine that led me to investigating the role of humour in psychology and and then that led me to investigating the rates of, you know, depression and anxiety and then suicide and attempted suicide. And then once I started to look at those statistics, I thought this is an incredible problem in our society. And I just happened to work in an industry that could possibly make a difference, have a positive impact on it. So so one thing led to another and I had a business mentor at the time and he said, look, he goes, you're just a, at the moment you're a comedian with a good idea because I've got this, I've got this um, idea of creating a formal link between the comedy industry and mental health to get to the point where, you know, I believe personally that, You should be able to go to a comedy club on a Friday night, spend 30 bucks on your ticket, maybe buy one of the comedians' DVDs for 20 bucks, and then take the receipts to Medicare on Monday and get a financial refund. Why not? Why not? You know, so so he said, look, you you need to partner with a university. You need to find a university to do research in this area 
and and that's how you get some runs on the board. So in Brisbane, uh, we're very lucky. We have the Australian Institute for Suicide Research and Prevention, which is based at Griffith University, um, one of five places in the world that is on the World Health Organization Collaborating Committee for Suicide Prevention. Um, so I went and talked to them about, you know, my ideas of creating a link between the comedy industry and mental health and and they thought there was really something in it. So they said, you know, you should come and you should come and study this master's degree in suicidology. And uh, and they sent me the application forms and I had to ring them up and go, look, I'm I'm flattered, but I'm not your guy, you know, this is a postgraduate degree. So you've got to have an undergrad in something. And I said, I left school when I was you know, 14 and, you know, went and worked in a factory as a welder and, like, I didn't finish high school, let alone go to uni. And to, to their credit, Clint, you're going to love this, they they said, we're going to recognise prior learn you for 17 years of being a comedian. <laughs> now, let me just step in here and let me just add a couple of things to, to flavour this a little more from my personal experience with you. First of all, you have a heck of a welding joke. That's another one people need to Google. <laughs> Second of all, you and I were doing a job together, and I think it was in Townsville. We're in t- Townsville, I, yes. I want to say. And-, yeah, and can I just say, that was the first time I'd seen you in years, and when you walked off that plane, and I'm seeing the way that you, you're moving freely and everything, and I'm like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe. I I, I I remember that distinctly that night. That was a good gig from memory. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you had the edge over me, but we had both had fun. Um, now, one thing about that that stay, because we stayed in shared a com. You had a room and I shared another, it was in another room, but we're in the same two-bedroom apartment. The thing about that night is we just talked and talked and talked because I had everything to share with you about the updates on my health and my journey because, you know, as you alluded to, my freely moving body was not necessarily how it was the time you'd seen me before, probably struggling to hold the microphone and limping and all of the agony and stuff. So we're talking about that. But the second thing I wanted to share was that this was exactly when you had been offered from Griffith, the opportunity to go and study, and you had not yet made the decision, or you were just teetering on saying yes, and you were you were intimidated, weren't you? I mean, as you said, this is a serious postgraduate degree, and so for you to go down that path, you knew that you were in for a lot of hard work. Oh yeah, and it was very intimidating, mate. You know, like I was never that great at school, and I honestly believe that, you know, you hear it all the time. People that go back and study as an adult, you, you know, you approach the work a lot differently, and especially if it's something that you're interested in. You know, that makes Mm. such a difference. So, Mm. you know, my first essay, my first assignment that I had to do, oh, we still laugh, I, I stupidly thought that they were interested in what I had to say. And then one of the lecturers went, no, there's a thing called referencing, mate. <laughs> so, uh, so look, I've got a – the first year was pretty tough. Like I, I had to get a tutor and, and learn about academic style of writing mm. and especially, you know, when you're dealing with something as intense as suicide prevention. 
and you've got, you know, you're learning about research and risk factors and suicide risk assessment and, like, it's very intense, you know. But um, You got through it. Yeah, oh, look, I not only got through it, but I was quite proud of the fact that the year before I graduated, two things that I'm probably the most proud of that come out of that degree was one was learning how to, you know, study and do it and get to the point where I think in 2016 I got awarded the Griffith Award for Academic Excellence because I had a grade point average above six for an entire year, which put me in the top 5% of all students. And I was like, wow, "Wow, okay, so that's pretty cool. And then when I, for the final year, I did my thesis on a human laughter education program that I designed specifically for people with stress, anxiety and depression. And I was very proud of the fact that it was a world first in this field, like, you know, researching humour and the health benefits of it is nothing new. That's been around for Decades, there's so much research from around the world, but everything that I found was in a group dynamic, right? They'll get 50 people in a room and they'll measure their blood pressure and their heart rate, you know, and and then they'll show them some comedy stuff and then get them to do, you know, mental exercises to see if it's affected their cognition and all this. And everything was in groups. And my problem with that is I approached it from a comedian's point of view and went, well, everyone's sense of humour is different. So if you've got 50 people in the room and you're showing them some, you know, comedy movies that the researchers have chosen, it might only only strike a chord with, you know, 30% of the people in the room think it's funny and then someone else might be laughing because it's contagious, the people beside them are laughing. So to me, all of the data was going to be diluted. So the program that I designed it's not a group, it's a one-on-one. So, like, you know, I see the client for an hour, ideally a week for five consecutive weeks, but a one-hour session, one-on-one for five sessions. And and it's a focus on, I think, the most important question I ask these people is what is it that makes you laugh? Because it's different for everybody, you know. Like what I do a lot of work with you know, first responders and, and defence personnel because, you know, that's where it started way back when I met yeah. this guy and his wife, you know. So, you know, what makes a police officer laugh or a paramedic laugh could quite possibly offend a primary school teacher, you know. Mm. Does that make it wrong? Absolutely not because in the psychological terms, um, they're using humour as what's classified as a level four mature coping mechanism to deal with stress and trauma. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's been widely researched to, you know, you hear this term gallows humour and black humour and all that, but for first responders, emergency services personnel, it's um, it's an incredibly important part of their coping with the job, you know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, where it all started and how I got to, to being here, you know, doing this doing this stuff now. Well, let me first add, you know, it's it's there's an inspirational story in this already in terms of how you're able to demonstrate 
that leaving school at 14 does not mean that you cannot then at a later age turn around and become top 5% academic success at a master's level at university. I mean, that alone is something as a takeaway uh, that people can can ponder on because I love things like that. You know, it's just a, a classic defying the odds and achieving at a way bigger level than what we give ourselves credit for. If you had not gone back and done that degree, you would have always maybe second-guessed your academic abilities and maybe even thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there smarter than I am. And whilst that is true for everyone, look, you probably hold yourself with a little bit more credibility than what you did before. And and that purely for me, having been through a, a university degree and having achieved some success also, all it does is just give you a little bit of confidence. That's all I get out of it. I just think, look, if I can get through that and I can achieve that at that level, it just gives you some confidence when the chips are against you and you think times are tough. Well, I got through that. I know I'm not a dummy, so I should be able to handle that. So that alone is is inspirational. And then the second thing is I just want us to, you know, now drill down on just this concept of laughter therapy and 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 you know you're using it in these in these military and uh, um, sort of po- these police force people and stuff like that. I want us to now pick your brains and get tools from you about people with with health problems who may not have those sort of line of work, but who just need some tools to get on with their day in a happier state. So what can you give us, Mark? Okay, well, the the big thing that I probably get asked to talk about the most is self-care. You know, like when it comes to mental health, you know, we've got one of the, I tell you what, one of the things university really taught me was show me the evidence, you know, like there's so many people saying do this for you, it's good for you, do this, take this, whatever, and it's like, well, unless you can show me some evidence to support what it is you're talking about, you know, and, and then when I went through this, I found it really interesting that in suicide prevention, right, we talk about risk factors and warning signs and all that, but there's also a big list of what they call protective factors. And this is the realm of self-care where, unfortunately, everyone is so busy leading their lives and working or dealing with raising children and doing everything else that quite often the self-care gets shuffled to the bottom of the to-do list when in actual fact... And it gets viewed as being selfish. You know, I haven't got time to do this for myself, mate, or, or, or whatever. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people are in that position where they find themselves working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, getting up when it's dark, coming home from work when it's dark, and they've got kids and mortgage and the weekends are filled up with taking kids to sport or whatever, and, and their own self-care really gets shuffled down the to-do list. So... There's three timely reminders that I think are really important for um, the people that might be watching this. And and this isn't rocket science. Like, I'm not reinventing the wheel. These are all things that we all know, but I call them timely reminders because sometimes we just need to be reminded about things. So for me, the top three are there are things in your life that make you happy. The second one is there are things in your life to look forward to. 
And the third one is there are things in your life that make you laugh. And I think those three in that order are incredibly important. So, and when I talk about there are things in your life that make you happy, I invite whoever it is that may be watching to have to write a list of or come up with five things in your life that make you happy, that bring you joy in some way. And more often than not, they won't be things, mm. right? There'll be people. There'll be activities, you know. It won't be, you know, my, you know, my iPad or whatever makes me happy, right? It'll be, you know, my husband, my wife make me happy, my kids, my, you know, family. That I, you know, play golf, like whatever it is, have a list of Think about five things in your life that that make you happy and bring you joy. And somewhere in that list, like for for me, I usually talk about, you know, my wife makes me happy because I've overachieved something fierce. You know, my family, my friends, you know, like being a comedian, you know, we're very lucky, Clint. We know some of the funniest people in this country. But one of the things that uh, makes me happy is me time, and that's something that, you know, a lot of us shuffle to the bottom of the to-do list, you know. So if you're creating a list of five things in your life that make you happy, somewhere in that list, think about something that you do for you, just for you, not for anybody else, is it? You know, photography, is it reading, is it writing, is it, you know, listening to music, is it walking, spending time with your dog or being at the beach or whatever it is? What is it that you do for you? Because it's incredibly important to have this me time be part of this top five. Because what that does is when you look at, you know, the five things that make you happy, like I said, they're usually going to be people. That deals with this risk factor of ill mental health being isolation. And I'm not talking about, you know, physical, like distance isolation. I'm talking about emotional isolation, being emotionally isolated from your friends, your family, whoever it is that's in your life, you know. So, and that's why I was talking before about my ache with the term physical uh, social distancing you know like it needs to be physical distancing and we need to be socially connected because if you think about the five things in your life that make you happy they're going to be other people so that's the first one the second one is well before you move on before you move on it's interesting that you you say that because you would have done this exercise a lot in live sessions with corporate groups and and community groups and so forth and you've learned that for most people that their five things that make them happy are, as you said, not things, but actually often people. And, you know, I think that it it just goes to show just how much we need that social support, that social connection. And when we have something like a chronic disease, we can often feel un or a lack of desire to talk about it because we feel inadequate or we feel like we're burdening the other person by sharing our problems or, gee, I wouldn't want to go there because it just sounds all too much and I'll just, you know, keep it quiet. 
But what you're saying is that, you know, we need to have that connection. We need to talk. We need to share. We need to offload our problems. And that that that's right up there with important things that not just, well, makes us feel happy, but also it's therapeutic. Correct? Right? Before I make oh, another point. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned a word there that I think is incredibly important. Like when we talk about, you know, risk factors for... Um, or warning signs for self-harm. One of the biggest ones that doesn't get mentioned a lot but is very common in people that have got uh, some type of degenerative disease is a sense of burdensomeness, right? So I'm very specific when I do these talks to, like you said, corporate groups or mental health conferences or whatever that I say, look, if you hear this sentence or something similar, right? My friends and family would be better off without me around, right? That is a red flag warning sign that that person is psychologically struggling, right? Because in their mind, they honestly believe that's the case, Clint, you know, like they honestly believe that they think everyone would be better off without them around. And it's never, ever going to be the case, ever, you Mm. know? And you know, I just want to just quickly say, look, if if there is anyone that's um, thinking about is my family member, because a lot of the time it's like, uh, it's like, you know, you call the drug line, like if you called the drug addiction line or whatever, the majority of the time they're talking to family members and support people. They're not actually talking to the person that's got the addiction, right? So... If, you, if there's anyone listening that's finding themselves in a support role for um, someone who's struggling with physical ailments and they're feeling this burdensomeness, there's a really, a really good website called Conversations Matter, conversationsmatter.com.au, and it's basically, you know, I send people there around, especially around Are You OK Day, you know, like everyone says, ask if you're okay, ask if you're okay. And I think some people may not ask because they think that they're ill-equipped to deal with an answer that may come back, you know. So if you are worried about someone, go to that website and it gives you some great tools. But the sense of, you know, connectedness is so important. i got to tell you, there is no way in the world I could have done that degree without my wife, without the support of my wife, without the support of my family. And everything's the same, you know. Like when I'm out in the bush and I'm talking to farmers and, you know, like everything in our family is a team effort, you know. Like when my wife Sophie's working flat out doing her job, I find myself on cooking duties or looking after the house or whatever, you know, and it's vice versa. If I, you know, the whole time that I was studying, you know, she really carried everything, you know. So, and I, I would imagine that would really be the case for someone that's, you know, physically de- debilitated as well. It's it's a team effort. Yeah, almost definitely. And without Melissa, you know, I um, would never have gotten to the point that I have today. Like there's absolutely no chance. She was my rock, my support, my everything. And uh, boy, did we get to uh, some challenging times. You know, you mentioned that phrase, I think 
you know, you or the world or whatever would be better off without me. Well, she can, she can verify that I have said that to her in the past when times were tough. Uh, those uh, days that I've shared online where I can barely walk and I was having to go to yoga class for an hour and a half every day just to be able to get out of bed the next day. Um, and I was on, you know, maximum dose of a significant drug and being only to, and, and noticing that I was still worsening. You know, my exact phrase was, you know, if I got hit by a bus, you know, you'd probably be better off without me, you know, so. Burdensomeness is a big thing to carry around. Most definitely, man. Right. So, and you mentioned beyond, beyond those, those, you know, listing our five things, you said one was spending time doing something by ourselves that we really enjoy me doing. Time. Our own. Yeah, me time. How often should we be doing that? Or is it a case of how, as much as you need? Oh, look, it's one of those things that time management is so hard for so many people. Like, you know, recently, you know, when COVID hit, I I lost all my work. But then, you know, my father rang up and said, oh, look, you know, I've just been diagnosed with leukaemia down in Sydney. Can you, you know, come down and look after my business while I'm in hospital getting chemo? And I went, yeah, sure, no worries. So, and... I'd forgotten how hard it is to work a 40, 50-hour work week in a job that you you may not particularly like and how much of the rest of your life it affects, you know. It affects you, you know, you're thinking about it at night after dinner on the weekend or come Sunday afternoon, you're thinking, oh, I've got to go back to work tomorrow, you know. So I think it's really, you know, finding what it is that's working for you. Like if it means that, you know, you're able to spend some time every day doing me, me time things. Well, that's fantastic. But, mm. you know, even if it's if it turns out that it might only be once a week, as long as you're making a conscious choice to because what that what that also does is which leads into the next thing I was going to talk about, which was there's things in your life to look forward to. You know, if you find yourself day to day struggling with life, like my wife says, is, you know, we're all doing life, just simply knowing that you're doing something on the weekend that's for you is so important, you know. Like when it comes to things in your life to look forward to, I invite people to break it down into three timelines. So think about what can you be looking forward to in the next two days and then in the next two weeks and then in the next two months, you know, and this can be something as simple as a phone call, a meal, doing something with the kids on the weekend, you know, doing something around the house, finishing a work project, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but if you divide it down into two days, two weeks, two months, and like you said, you know, the self-care things, if you can't do stuff for yourself every day, and you go, oh, well, I'm going to be able to get to that on Saturday, well, then, bang, that's given you something to look forward to, which is incredibly important because what that does, it, it, it instills hope, and hope is everything. You know, like I, I'm sure, like you've said, you know, there's been days where you've just felt hopeless and there's nothing to look forward to because you all you can see is day after day of pain and therapy and trying to manage this condition. And hope can be 
it can diminish and it's such an important thing to try and find a way to hang on to it. How, how did you manage to maintain, like I'm sure there was times where you did feel hopeless, mm. but, you know, mm. I'm sure there's well, also been times where you've been able to grasp onto hope. For me, it always came back to some real simple logic. It was, first of all, that one day I woke up and I had joint pain and the day before I did not have that joint pain. And so the logic for me was something has triggered it. And having a physics background, I thought there's a cause and an effect. So what is the cause? If I can address the cause, then we should be able to interrupt its effect. And so quite simply, that, that logical connection to me meant everything. That one day it just started, it must have been triggered by something. Now, the second thing that I hung on to and emphasized uh, as the biggest source of hope was that when I would stop eating, all my pain would go away. So everything would be gone within three days, all my pain. And so I thought all I need to do is work out how I can get those results, but still be able to eat, right? So I, I hung on to those two things. Something's caused it. And when I don't eat, it goes away. And so I had two pieces of like a convoluted puzzle that I had to piece together. And so it became, in my mind, not a problem. It became, it became a project. And the project was solve, you got to solve this problem. How, what's going on? If I eat that, what happens? If I exercise twice as long, what happens? And it was just experiment after experiment. And then I would get a tiny breakthrough and I would celebrate that breakthrough as if it was enormous, even if all it was, was a 5% reduction in my inflammatory markers in my blood, that I would just be, uh, I would really, really condition my subconscious mind to celebrate that as that being the most important thing. And the hope that when I thought about hope so much, and like yourself have talked about this on stage to corporate groups and so forth as from a sort of a inspirational keynote talk sort of angle. I describe hope as having a game plan from getting to A to B, a roadmap that you can see and that you can understand and you can follow. And that lack of hope is feeling there is no way to get to where you want to get to. And in some cases, for some people without a health problem, that might be, you know, they can't see a way to ever have a holiday or get a break or whatever it is that they're wanting to get. But with a health condition like mine, for me, it was, how do I get rid of this pain? And so for me, the hope came back when I could see things that are working and therefore I felt I was on a path and a path that would take me to where I hoped to be, which was to be able to have kids and to do so I had to get off uh, the medication that I was on. So that's, that was my journey and um, here comes one of them now. In fact, how's that? It's almost scripted. Come here, Aiden. <laughs> here's, here's what I prepared earlier. <laughs> exactly. Say hi to the microphone. Hey! Look at your beautiful smiling face. Yeah. 
Say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he doesn't do anything at low volume. <laughs> yes, the performer in him. Where have you been? Trampoline? Trampoline. Yeah, okay. Nice. This is a good friend of mine, Mark, and we're actually recording this and we're going to share it to a lot of people, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now you're so you're going to be famous. <laughs> Do you like being famous? Yeah. Okay, good boy. <laughs> um, I know you can't sit still, though, so why don't you go back on the trampoline and while I finish up with Mark. Okay, say bye-bye. 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 Good boy. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I'll see you in a few minutes, okay? Yeah. How about how that? How much you love and being a dad? Oh, mate, I can't tell you how unbelievable it is. It is just, it is like, it's all the rainbows and unicorns you could ever imagine. Hmm. Yeah. He doesn't look anything nice. like me. He doesn't look anything <laughs> like me, but I love him. <laughs> so, mate, yeah, so, look, um, that, yeah, the, the stuff to look forward good. to is everything, mate. Stuff to look forward to. Stuff to look forward to is 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 so true. You know what? Your three guidelines, and we'll do the last one next, and then close it out. But you know, I've heard before that the 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 saying, you know, happiness is something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. And that saying's been around for the longest time. And your your variation of that feels just as effective, um, especially when we now talk about the laughter. One of your one of your three is laughter. That's your background. That's your expertise. Tell us tell us more about yeah. getting laughter so, into us. So the thing about the laughter is, and like I said before, is this isn't anything new. We're just reminding ourselves about these things, right? So and um, you know, I bring up this slide where I, it says Laughter has been given to us by whatever means of creator or creation that you subscribe to as a biological release valve for overcoming stress, anxiety and depression. And the proof of this is in the fact that babies and infants experience laughter years before they have any conceptual understanding of language and humour. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know, and it's like, what are these babies laughing at? You know, like, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's been, you know, I'm sure there's people tuning in that have heard, you know, these statistics where they say, oh, babies laugh 400 times a day and adults laugh a dozen times a day and whatever. Like to me personally, I think, you know, those stats are going to vary depending on what website you go to. You know what I mean? Like how are they researching that stuff? But the fact of the matter is, is that babies laugh and as adults we sometimes forget to, you know. So this last one about there are things in your life that make you laugh is all about cast cast your mind back to the last time you really laughed at something. And I mean that gut-busting laughter where your jaw is sore, your guts are cramping up, you've got tears coming down. Can I give you – I haven't told – I don't know if I've told you this story. I probably haven't, but 
I just want to share with you a quick. Oh, hello! There's another one. <laughs> yeah, we've got another one who's just come in to show and off what's her hands. Your name, and... Lovely. Oh, here they all are now. What's oh hello? Uh, what are your names? Angelina. I did nothing. Well, that's Angelina, and this is little Ariel. And Ariel, uh, hello. We've gone this far, and I haven't done a joke yet. But when I'm when I'm working uh-huh. and. Uh, I'll talk about my kids. I say we've got two girls. One's Angelina, and we named her after a beautiful angel. It means little angel. And we've got our second eldest who's called Ariel, and we named her after a font. Ariel What is a font? Okay, it's descending into chaos here. Kids, I need a little space, okay? Yeah? Oh, no, no, no. Hey. Yes, there's something that Angelina drew, but we're getting out of out of uh, our show here. We're trying to do a show. Oh my goodness! Okay, Mark, I'll be right with you, my friend. Angelina, can I see you in a few minutes, honey? Thank you. <laughs> go, on, go on, kids, out now. Out. What is it, sweetie? What's fast? What's fast to lunchy? A rocket ship. <laughs> okay, we'll see you soon. I've upset the little one. I'll be with you shortly, Ariel. <laughs> okay. Come on, girls. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, you know, what's a little bit of chaos to uh, break things up? We're talking about having a laugh. My kids are all happy. Oh, they like it. They like There's no boundaries in this house. Oh, man, i got to tell you, on a couple of those cruise ships where, you know, we get asked to do the kids' shows, yeah. you know, as, as comedians and, and like I struggle so I make the kids a star of the show and I bring the kids up and have a little joke telling competition yeah. and I've got to tell you some of the things that come out of their mouths <laughs> I know I'm like, I'm like where are your parents that's atrocious <laughs> absolutely absolutely um, so I want you to be quiet Lenny I want you to finish up and tell us about the uh more about the uh, the things that make us laugh. We want to try okay, so, and bring this home strong. All right, okay. So the big thing is is that it's individual for everybody. So what is it that makes you laugh is so important, right? So, you know, people, you've got this thing at the moment where they're like, oh, that's offensive humour and that show's offensive or whatever. And to those people I say, look, you need to be less concerned with what makes someone else laugh and more concerned with what makes you laugh mm. because that's mm. what's important. You know? Can we have permission to laugh at things that other people would be considering inappropriate? Well, um, the, the case in point is the emergency services. Like, honestly, what makes a police officer or a paramedic laugh is most likely going to offend a primary school teacher or someone yeah. in the general public, right? And the yeah. thing is, is that, you know, we have in the humour styles questionnaire, they've identified four different styles of humour. Two are positively associated to um, mental health yep. and two are negatively associated. So the two positive wow. ones are affiliative and self-enhancing. So affiliative is what we do as comedians. We make other people laugh. Or if you're that person at a barbecue or a dinner where you've got the snappy comments because you like mate, cracking the room up, that's that's affiliative humour, positive. The second one is self-enhancing, which is what emergency services personnel use. It's what our defence personnel use. It's the ability to use humour in a traumatic 
situation or a stressful situation as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Like someone's under a great deal of stress and they say something to diffuse the situation and it's a release, right? Okay, so that's self-enhancing humour. And the two negative ones are aggressive and self-defeating, so laughing at the expense of someone else or laughing at the expense of yourself, right? So, And this, all the studies that have been shown is the self-enhancing one is the most beneficial of everything, right? Using humour as a coping mechanism for stress. So what I invite people to do is create a laughter library, right? So if you've got your iPhone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever it is that you use, you've got YouTube, right? Create a playlist, call it your laughter library. Um, And if you don't know how to create a playlist, ask an eight-year-old, they'll be all over it, right? And just start searching for stuff that you know makes you laugh, right? You know, if you're like these comedians, you know, do a search, grab a heap of their clips, chuck it in your library, grab a heap of these clips, chuck it in your library. Don't watch it there and then. Just grab a heap of stuff and chuck it in there. And then once a day, and this is something that I do advocate for daily if you can because I'm a big fan of minimising our news input, especially now, you know, like um, for years I've been advocating to not watch the nightly news, you know, and and when the pandemic started, I found myself watching it every day like probably the rest of the planet, you know, and I could feel myself being overwhelmed by by what we're seeing. So, you know, if you can find a way of replacing, you know how I get the news now? I listen to it in the car when I'm driving around because it's yeah. only a couple of minutes and there's no visuals, you know, and if something's happening, you're going to find out what's going on. So, And then give yourself a little laughter therapy session maybe 20 minutes, half an hour a day if you can, or even it doesn't even need to be that long. If you find you've got five minutes and you've been overwhelmed by what's happening today, you know, just flick through your laughter library and go, okay, there's a clip that goes for four and a half minutes. I'll watch that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, like we were talking about right at the start, about you choosing the material. Yeah. Right, so now you've chosen the stuff. It's not a therapist or a researcher somewhere. What's in your laughter library is your business, right? And so what I'd say is the most important question is what makes me laugh, and then the second one is how can I bring more laughter into my life, which is create a laughter library, bring it in. Um, if you know funny people that within your family or friends, try and spend more time with those people. Like, you now I've got a mate of mine who's the funniest guy. Like, he's he's a golf professional, and every time I spend time with this guy, even if it's on the phone, cracks me up. You know, so yeah. you know we all know those people. So try and spend more time in contact with them, and uh, and then how can I bring more laughter into the lives of those around me? So. We all know within our circle of family and friends who has a similar sense of humour. You know, like yeah. I've got mm-hmm. mates of mine that I'm really good mates with, but we don't share the same style sense of humour, mm. you know. Yeah. But there's other people in my life who I share my sense of humour with exactly, you know. So they're the people that you want to try and engage, you know. So if you've got your little laughter library and you 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 know got all this stuff and you think oh so and so will like this this will be great you know mm. share it with them but when mm. I'm saying sharing I'm not talking about 
emailing them a link, right? I'm talking right. about trying, if we can, share it with them in person because there's so you, a big difference. Yeah, so you yeah. also get that connectiveness that we talked about yeah. before. Massive difference. Yeah, 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 love it. Okay, the laugh. laugh. How can yeah. I bring more laughter into my life? How can I bring more laughter into the lives of those around me? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, laughter. It's almost like oxygen to the uh, to the happiness or to the soul or something, isn't it? It just re. It's just it's breathing life back into our into our mental situation. Physically, right? So there's there's the physical benefits of laughing, which you see. Um, like people in the parks doing laughter yoga while they're all standing around, right? So those people are experiencing the physical benefits, which is the increased respiration, circulation, the the physical transformation of um, stress hormones to feel-good hormones, right? Cortisol, epinephrine, serotonin, that physical transformation of that. But humour as a construct that creates the laughter is so important because that's the bit that enables us to deal with stressful situations, to deal with feeling overwhelmed by stuff. There's a great book called um, Beyond Survival, which is a guy, Captain Gerald Coffey. So he's a guy who was a POW during the Vietnam War. Seven years, they're all isolated in individual cells in solitary confinement. And you know that they, they tapped out jokes on the walls of their cells in in code, Morse code, right? <laughs> As a way of elevating themselves psychologically out of this horrific situation, you know. And uh, I've got to tell you, Clint, you'll appreciate this. When I read that, I thought, as a comedian, right? I thought two things. I thought seven years. That's a lot of jokes. Right, I don't have that many jokes. And the second thing I thought was, you really want to get those dots and dashes right, you know, because if you mess that up, Jack and Jill becomes Jack and Bill, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that would be uh, difficult to get a response, wouldn't it, out of that situation. But, mate, you do it's what you can. It's the humour, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Just it lifts the spirit. It really does. It really does. So, mate, uh, this has been fantastic. I, I guess, um, do you have you got any success stories uh, or any kind of um, other case studies that you've been able to quickly uh, share with us to wrap up people you've worked with who you've been able to, you know, tell tell us some a nice story about? Yeah, I got it. I'm- I have got a nice story to tell, actually, and the story that I'm about to tell is about the true heroes of the community, you know. So about halfway through last year, I did a go and, you know, speak to laughter clinic keynotes for, you know, councils all around Australia, right? So I did one up in uh, the Sunshine Coast for the Gympie uh, Shire Council, Gympie Regional Council, and then... The next day, I got a Facebook message from one of the participants at the that was in the audience, right? And he said, hey, mate, how you going? You don't know me. Um, I was in your laughter clinic session yesterday morning 
And uh, and I just wanted to say how I, what I got out of yesterday. Say he said basically the story that you spoke about about the ex serviceman who hadn't laughed for three years really st- struck a chord because my wife and I lost our seventeen year old son three years ago uh, in a car accident, and usually I come home from work and I'd usually you know, drink and until I'm drunk enough to make my way to bed and pass out. He said, but yesterday afternoon I came home, um, I got out, he said, I got out a Carl Barron DVD who my son and I both loved and I watched it and I laughed, I cried and I laughed. He said, but it was it was the best thing, you know, he said, because it reminded me how much I I love this. And that's only part of the story, right? So I I messaged this guy back going, you know, thanks for sharing your story. I'm really, you know, glad that you had that moment yesterday afternoon where you were able to bring some laughter back into your life. And then he told me the full story. And the full story was that when his son was in that car accident, he was actually working with the Queensland Fire Service. So he was on duty and got the call to go to the accident, not knowing that his son was in that car. And his wife was working as a paramedic at the time. So they were all of a sudden thrust into this situation where every time they would go to work to do a shift. They'd attend a car accident and it would bring back all this trauma. So they both left. They both left the emergency services, um, went to work for the council, and now three years later they've raised, what did he say, they've raised $100,000 in the community and they've paid to put 300 youths through a three-day defensive driving program. Yeah. And I'm like, they're the heroes, you know, of society. They are the true heroes. And, you know, just having this guy say, mate, I usually drink myself to sleep, and last night I laughed myself to sleep, and he said it was just the best thing. So I just want to thank you. You know, I could probably rattle off dozens of stories like that, but, you know, it's just uh, it gives me hope, you know, that, you know, there's for people that are in a really dark place that sometimes it just, like I said, it's just a reminder. And that's what he said. He goes, you just reminded me that I used to love watching this Carl Barron DVD with my son. So I got home and I dragged it out. Yeah, that's a great story, mate. And, uh, you know, there's, as you said, there's so many people who are suffering and mental health, uh, gee, it's something that uh, it, it can undermine the best of us. And, you know, I think that it's very, very admirable all the work that you've done in this area and uh, continue to do. Uh, you know, we had to reschedule this conversation, which we had planned for last week, because you had a couple of commitments uh, of uh, in this sort of 
line of work and just showing how active you are and how much you're doing. So my hat's off to you. Keep up the fantastic work. I didn't know that you potentially do one-on-one sessions. It's not something that we've spoken about, but uh, is there a way someone could contact you if they wanted to set up a Zoom chat yeah, with if you? They, if, if they basically just go to my website, markmcconville.com.au, and they can contact me via there, and there's a lot of information on there under on the, uh, the Laughter Clinic page about a lot of the stuff that we spoke about today. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, you know, as I said, we should have done this earlier. It's such a big topic. I've not covered it before. You're the man. We've had a laugh. I almost had a cry. This has been a fantastic session, my friend. Lovely to see your kids, mate, too. Yeah, I'm, what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll tell the editor to, to leave them in. Sometimes they uh, <laughs> get chopped, but uh, I'm going to leave it in today and uh, every now and then, I think it's nice just to um, to to let reality be reality. Is you know, it's nice sometimes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, yeah, and mate. and kids, you know, I think we've got um, we I'm going to be a grandparent uh, in in uh, January. My wife's son and his his wife are expecting their first child in oh. in January, and so. And uh, my wife always says that families need kids, you know, like kids in a family brings, you know, youth and energy and love and all of these things. And, you know, it's so nice because, you you know, you've wanted a family for so long and it's so nice to see, you know, the come in and they're just... <laughs> It's, it's just great, mate. It warms my heart, you know, and, and, yeah. and you know, I'm sure you're an amazing dad. Like, oh, you know, in my mind, I'm going to be the coolest granddad ever. But <laughs> in, in actual fact, my grandkids are probably going to spend the whole time going, you know, why does granddad make all those noises when he gets out of the chair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, thanks, mate. No, absolutely. Everything you say about the kids and more, they just, uh, they're just awesome. And, you know, I say there's no boundaries here, but there's also, you know, the kids don't feel any sort of sense of of, of um, imposing themselves upon what I'm doing. They think, Dad's just chatting to someone, it's going to be fine, you know, and that is that is the case. And I don't apologise for, for having, you know, occasional little bit of an interruption. You know, I don't advertise on this show. I don't charge for any of the information. I, you know, all this stuff is just a labour of love. And we've got a couple of products that we sell to, to help fund, you know, all of the stuff. But, you know, the show just continually cranks out and we speak to fantastic people like you. And so, you know, the odd interruption is not going to upset anyone, I don't think, I hope. Oh, yeah. And look, we're the, we're the year of Zoom, mate. You know, like everyone's, yeah. you know, like I, I talk to people that have, you know, business meetings and they're like, I might talk to them in the end of the day and go, how did your meetings go today? And they're like, oh, I had my pants on for half of them. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, exactly. it's that type of world at the moment. So having, um, you know, having the kids coming in, I think is, you know, it's par for the course right now, mate. Correct, mate. Correct. There are bigger things to worry about in life and we've addressed them today and I, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, I'm going to um, put the link Thanks to your website. Along, mate. Yeah, and mate. Congratulations. Gonna... Congratulations on 
on everything that you've been able to achieve. Like, you know, obviously, like you said, we spoke for hours that night in town because I was just gobsmacked at seeing mm. the transformation in you. But to take to take that to the next level and and help other people, yeah, it's it's admirable, mate. It's an altruistic thing and it's so cool. Because and and you know what? Giving is so good. Like helping other people is so good. It makes you feel so good. And if other people can benefit from the all of the hard yards that you've done, well, kudos to you, brother. Thanks, Mark. You know, sometimes I give that as advice or a suggestion to people. If they're so consumed in their own problems and life's just overwhelming and they're frustrated and it's just like, oh, there's so much tension and build up, I'll say to them, what can you do for someone else today? And it just <laughs> shifts the conversation. It's yeah. not like I don't, it's not like I, I don't hear them or I'm not listening, but an answer comes to me that just catches them off guard. And the suggestion is go and do something that contributes to someone else's life because then it feels like the world is bigger than just your problems. And that doesn't belittle your situation, it helps you compartmentalize it rather than be drowned by it yeah Hmm. wise words mate wise words mate well we finish on a strong one we close (laughs) with you gotta finish with your second best joke on cooking duties tonight so i have to go and uh crumb my poor cutlets (laughs) all right mate well you go and do that and i'll stick with my vegan tucker and uh we'll uh we'll reconnect another time it's been absolute pleasure thanks mark love your work clint Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.